That was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Paul, I'm going to brag on you for a minute. You, of course, know Angela Gaynor because Angela is on our music team here. Paul Schwozer has been kind of our invisible hero for the last few months as he has popped in and out of that sound booth back there and covered us while Michael was gone. And I just want to tell you what a pleasure it is to have you up here. You are a man of many talents. So here we are in December, starting this time of the Christmas story. And I want to tell you that when I started here, which was the end of 2010, that my greatest fear was telling the Christmas story because I didn't buy it. So I knew I was going to have to stand up here and find a way to tell this story with some level of authenticity and find my way through it. And I was scared to death. I cried before I started. Truly, this is a true story. Really difficult for me to tell this story because I could not put the pieces together. Because if you spend some time looking at this story from just from the biblical perspective, there are some things, some pieces that don't fit together. There are two different places that we hear this story. We hear this story in the book of Matthew, and we hear this story in the book of Luke, and they have different characters and different things happen, and the stories don't quite jive. What time of the year was Jesus born? There are all kinds of pieces that didn't make sense. And so I immersed myself in the thinking of Charles Fillmore and found some things I could kind of grab onto. So I want to take us back for just a minute and remind you that this year's theme has been One Humanity, Many Stories. Do you remember that? And we have explored stories from many different cultures all year long. And this particular story comes from a Middle Eastern culture in what we would think of now as modern-day Palestine. So it's important for us to know where the story takes place. It's also important for us to think about the fact that these stories start in dramatically different ways. And so if you are going to tell a good story, you need a really good opening line. You need an opening line that's going to catch people and pull them in. So if we look at the book of Matthew, the opening line tells us that this is the story of the birth of Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah means Savior. This is the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, of the Messiah. How many of you would like to have a savior? Come on. I'm thinking not, not because you're sinning, but because you need a savior. Somebody who comes in and goes, I'll pay the mortgage for you. Now, how many of you want a savior? <laughs> right, right. I want a savior. Somebody who's going to lift these burdens off of me. This is the story of the birth of a savior. I'm in. Are you in? I want to know about that. The other book, interestingly, starts a little bit differently. The book of Luke talks about Caesar Augustus, who at the time wanted to count the Roman Empire. He wanted to know how many people were in the Roman Empire. And so he called for a census. And in order to participate in the census, 
Everyone was required to go to their place of origin. Now just think about that for a minute. What if you had to go for the census that's coming up in 2010? I'm sorry, 2020. (laughs) We're going backwards. 2020. What if you had to go back to your place of origin? Would it be a little bit of a journey? Yeah, because there's not very many native people here in Colorado, right? And depending upon how far back in your origin, you could have to go a very long way. In this particular case, Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem from Nazareth, right? A little bit of a little bit of a journey. So here's the story as we know it. The story is that they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary very pregnant. They arrived in Bethlehem, and when they got there, they went to a, an inn, which in my head is a quaint little place with lots of rooms and beds, yes? And what happened when they got there? The innkeeper opened the door and said, there's no room in the inn. There's no room at the inn. They probably rang that bell on the desk, right? The concierge came up. There's no room in the inn. This is Palestine 2,000 years ago. So we have to question, do they have hotels? Did they have an inn? So what we understand is there's no room at the inn, but your wife is really pregnant. She can stay in the stable out back. Right? So now we know of Mary and Joseph going out back to the stable where the cattle are lowing. What is that? What is lowing? (laughs) Right. It's a sound. Right? It's It's a sound. The cattle are lowing. It's peaceful and quiet. We see these beautiful pictures of all the animals down on the ground and a little bit of light that makes you think there might have been a candle or two. Come on, who lights a candle in a barn? (laughs) But there's a glow in the room. And the Christ child is born in this quiet, beautiful space, right? And then surrounded by visitors. Let's take a look at the story. Michael, there's a slide. Will you put it up on the screen for me? So here's how, here's what is more likely to be true. First of all, remember that Joseph was of the house of David. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because that's where his family was. And his wife had to come with him because that's the way it worked at the time. And when they came home... If he walked to his relative's house, and he, which he would have been required to do, he needed to gather with his family, not at the hotel, but to his family's home, which would have been a very simple structure. If he had come there, they would have been by culture obliged to invite him in. They would not have turned him away. By their culture, it would have been unthinkable to turn a family member away. They would have been required to, to, to take him in. And because he was of the house of David, anybody in the city would have taken him in if he had given his lineage. 
he would never have been without a place to stay. So why do we have this story that says he got sent out to the stable? Well, there's a word. The word is cataluma. And the word cataluma in the, in the Bible means upper room. Do you remember the story of the upper room when we, when we hear about Jesus taking in all, where all the apostles went to the upper room, right? Cataluma is a word that means upper room. This is what a home would look like. So it's very likely that when he came to the door, his relatives might have said, the upper room is full. The upper room is full. All of our family has come in from all over the place so that they can be counted. And the whole upper room, which is the living area, is full. The lower level in the homes in Palestine had a kitchen no refrigerator, remember. Place where they prepared their foods, a little bit of storage area, and a place where they brought the animals in at night. And they brought the animals in at night so they wouldn't get eaten or stolen. And because they didn't have a refrigerator and milk in the kitchen is a good thing in the morning, right? Very convenient to have everything right there. And because there is no indoor heating in this structure, and so large animals put off quite a bit of body heat. And that would keep the home warm at night when they were resting. So likely, he showed up at his relative's house and they said, come on in, we're really full. The upper floor is completely full, but you can stay here. Very different. This is really important. It's very significant to how we tell the story in our Western culture. Because our Western culture says, if you bring in the holy, you are rejected to the back barn. You have to go outside away from everybody. That's a very different thing than come in. We will find a place for you. There is a place here amongst all of us for you to bring your child into the world and for you to be counted. Very different, right? So this is the stable that we're talking about. We're not talking about someplace that's separate. Now, Charles Fillmore wrote the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary with a Bible scholar who did not want to put his name on it because at that time, in the late 1800s, it was pretty cutting edge, <laughs> was not something as an academic you would necessarily want to claim. But they did a ton of, re of research. This is an over 30-year project, the metaphysical interpretation of the Bible, a, a deep research project that compared various different symbology all throughout the Bible. And what he taught, Charles Fillmore, what he taught is that this stable represents your physical being, your, your place of being. And the upper room, we know from the stories at Easter that the upper room is our consciousness, isn't it? So here we are in the season where we're learning about birthing the divine self, bringing forward the hands and hearts of the divine to be, to be able to do this work, this Christ itself work that we have to do in the world, that is ours to do. 
we first have to bring this into ourselves. This happened in Bethlehem in Judea. Why do we care that it's in Bethlehem in Judea? Well, the symbology of Charles Fillmore says that Bethlehem is the place of sustenance. You have now come to your family's house and they have said, come in. We don't have a lot, but come in. What happens when a room full of women find a pregnant woman? Oh, honey, sit down. Let me, do you need a blanket? Can I get you water? What can, that's what happens. They pay attention to each other. The women would have gathered around her to create a safe place for her and to give her what she needed because she was very close to giving birth. So this is now very different again than our picture of Jesus who was born in a manger away from people with nothing. This is, this is the divine being born in a place of abundant provision. Everything that was needed was there for this to take place. This changes what you have to believe about bringing your own divine consciousness in. You don't have to pull yourself away from life. In fact, this birth happened in the middle of life, in the middle of community, in the middle of family, in the busiest. This was a busy house. Look at this house. This house is open to the bottom. There are no walls here. If you are going to give birth in this house, everybody is going to be there. Ian Paul, who was the academic I studied for this particular lesson, said he has spent time in the peasant homes in Palestine. He said, you will never be alone. You will never, ever be alone. There will always sleeping, waking, eating. There will always be people around you. And if you want to be alone, you have to leave the house and go walk out in the fields by yourself. So... So Mary was giving birth in, not in alone with just Joseph and the animals, but in a place where there were many people in a very public, open place. This is important to us because sometimes we think when we want to bring the holy forward, that we have to shut out the rest of the world and create a very silent, quiet place that's just ours in order to do that. But that isn't what's being taught. What's being taught is we have a full house. We have a gazillion thoughts and some animals running around in here, right? I know those animals come out. We have a lot going on in here and it's the perfect place for birthing the divine idea. And that's what we're doing in this month. We're revisiting the birth of the divine idea. What is the divine idea? The divine idea is that it wasn't just Jesus that was Jesus. The divine idea is that every single one of us was born to be the holy. That we are, that Jesus is a way shower, not a unique happening in the universe. And that our work is to do this work. To be loving kindness. To be forgiving. To be compassion. A compassion in action to be healers on the planet. It's who we are. That's a very divine idea, isn't it? 
And if we tell ourselves that we can only birth ourselves as that in a quiet, peaceful place with cattle lowing, it's a good excuse. It's good out. I don't have to do that. I'm too busy. I can't make that silent space. But this didn't happen in silence. This happened in this place of much activity. And through this month, it will happen for you in the same way. In a place of much activity, I am asking you to hold your consciousness in rain. So likely, how many of you have been at a birth? How many of you were giving birth? Okay, you guys put your hands down. You don't count. How many have been at a birth not giving birth? Great. So at that time, what happens in the room? What happens for you in the room when someone is giving birth? Are you watching TV? No, probably not. Are you telling your favorite football score to the person next to you? No. What are you doing? You're focused and you're waiting. You're looking for whatever you can do to help. Is there anything? And you're standing at attention, right? So we say Bethlehem in Judea. With Bethlehem being the place of sustenance and Judea in Filmorian teachings being the place of spiritual recognition. That we actually recognize Something is happening here. This divine idea is possible. Bethlehem in Judea. You have everything you need, all the sustenance you need in an abundant world to bring forth, to recognize that you can bring forth the divine in a very powerful, potent way. This is a really valuable time of year for us. Can we do this in April? Yes. Yes. Can we do it in October? Yes. Yes. Are we doing it now? That's what we're here for, right? So why do we tell this story over and over? Because it brings us back to remember that this is what we're doing. We are the divine idea. And we walk ourselves through these components to remember some important pieces. It matters that it was in Bethlehem in Judea. It matters to tell you that you have what you need to do this work, even in your busy world. And all you need to do is recognize that you are the spiritual looking for a place to happen. It matters that we do this work. Because the world needs us to be this right now. The world needs us to bring forth the very best of ourselves, the deepest expression of the holy we can offer. It needs people of character and contribution right now. I don't know. I haven't lived through all the other, through all the other iterations of life to say it's more important now than it was then or at any other time. I don't know. I just know it's really important right now. For us to recognize who we are and what we're here to do and to actively make space. So family in the house is all of those crazy thoughts and things going on in the upper room. While somewhere down here in your heart, you're trying to birth your holy self. 
And you're gonna have to do one of two things. You're gonna have to either ignore all of that, which any pregnant birthing woman can do. We don't care who's in the room, we're having a baby, right? Or you have to recognize that what is more likely to happen is that as you put your focus here, those thoughts, all the other stuff in the house is gonna begin to quiet down and turn toward this work. That's what we're being taught. Remember where you are. Remember that you have what you need. Remember you don't have to leave all of your family and ideas and thoughts in your head and animals and all of that, but you have to birth right where you are because that's where you're needed, right where you are. This is the work. Close your eyes. Imagine for a moment that you have traveled many miles, that you're tired, and that you knock on the door of the family home there at your own heart. And the door swing wide open, and you can see inside that the room is full, full of welcoming spirits, full of love full of all that you need, food and a place to rest, and you are warmly welcomed in. And in this place of warm welcome, you are honored for what you bring, for what is about to be birthed through you. That you are honored and cared for and welcomed in so that you can be who you came here to be. Gently open your eyes. You are honored and you are welcome and you are provided for by the divine so that you can be who you came here to be. That is what is true. Next week when you come back, we'll find out why there were shepherds and why there were animals there and what they all brought, what they all symbolize in this story. We'll do that at the nine o'clock service and at 11 o'clock we'll continue our intercultural study on religions. You remember if you're visiting, you may not know this. We have been studying religions and asking the question, what was going on in the world when that particular faith tradition emerged? What do those teachings emerge from? Uh, our guest speaker will be here at our 11 o'clock service. Her name is Marguerite. She is a native Ute, and she's coming to talk about the Ute culture. And it will be really interesting. She, uh, she was a university professor for years. She has a lot of interesting stuff to tell us. So I'm hoping that next week you will join us at the 9 o'clock to continue this story, have some food in between, and come back at 11 and stay and hear what Marguerite has to say. In the meantime, I have some quotes for you. Rumi said, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Norman Vincent Peale said, I truly believe that if we keep telling the Christmas story, singing the Christmas songs, and living the Christmas spirit, we can bring joy and happiness and peace to this world. Tony Sorensen said, the best gift you can open this Christmas season 
is your own heart. Marjorie Holmes said, At Christmas, all roads lead home. And this is from the Polar Express. Just remember, the true spirit of Christmas lives in your heart.